1: Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Colorado Food Magazine Podcast, presented by the Hispanic Restaurant Association, where we take a deep dive into the Colorado cuisine. From gate to plate, farm to table, and everything in between, CFM is your one-stop spot for everything food-related across the entire Centennial State. I'm your host and producer, Brendan Jordan, and it is a pleasure to be back on these airwaves with you folks. Glad that you are tuning into another fantastic episode as we are excited to bring on one of our great friends and one of the biggest supporters of HRA and its early upcoming, uh, Mr. Greg Bloom. Now, Greg is the owner of Barber's Foods and Ranch Fresh Meats. Actually, Barber's Foods, you probably heard that name before. I've had a ad read on these last few podcasts for them. But two fantastic organizations that have really been uh, a huge uh, stepping stone in building up the Colorado cuisine and uh, real big supporters for that. So we were really excited to bring him on to learn a little bit about his story, how he got into the meat industry and uh, what kick-started his passion for that, as well as uh, what Barber's Foods and Ranch Fresh Meats are really all about. Uh, There's some two really, like I mentioned, some two very, very exciting uh, organizations, some really passionate ones at that as well, at uh, getting the consumers involved in everything that's going on with them. So uh, like we had on our last episode with uh, Todd Ingley with the Colorado Beef Council, two companies that like to keep it very natural. So uh, very honored to bring both of these guys on and we hope you guys enjoy. Now before we get into it, we wanted to let you know that today's show is brought to you by the Hispanic Restaurant Association. The mission statement at HRA is to advocate on behalf of the Hispanic Restaurant Tour to effectively and efficiently open and operate their restaurants. Their vision is to educate and elevate the Hispanic community across a multi-generational spectrum. If you wanted to learn more about the Hispanic Restaurant Association, their plans for the future, goals, and ways they look to connect with the community around them, check out episode 12 of the Colorado Food Magazine podcast, as well as their website at hispanicrestaurantassociation.org. So, like I mentioned previously, a really fun interview with Greg that we have today uh, just really gets the listener and the consumer involved, and uh, really lets them know what's going on behind the scenes, behind the curtain. I think Greg is really focused on, you know, pulling that sheet from everything and, you know, uh, making everybody involved with the whole process of the meat industry. So it's something really inspiring and really interesting to listen to. So we will get further into it. Here is Greg Bloom with Barber's Foods and Ranch Fresh Meats. Thank you all for listening.
2: welcome to the Colorado Food Magazine, Season 2, Episode 4. We're here with Greg Bloom of Barber's Foods and Ranch Fresh Meats. We're here to interview him. He's uh, just a full disclosure. He has uh, been one of the greatest supporters of the HRA of many, many people we've met. He's opened a lot of doors. He's helped us uh, connect with different agencies, government agencies, and given us a lot of product and, and, and really is helping us uh, produce different segments of our organization so thank you for that i want to get that right out of the oh you're
3: welcome i'm just excited to be part of and involved and to help you um you know make the connections and uh not that you need my help but i just uh, really believe in what you guys are doing as an organization so it's great well well, thank you so
2: obviously we're going to talk about uh, barbers foods we're Mm going to talk about ranch fresh meats you're a distributor as well as direct consumer and also just you know all-around good guy you help us and uh you're helping us do a lot of things so let's start with tell us about yourself where you
3: where did you grow up i grew up on a farm outside of brighton uh, just a mile west of brighton on the platte river and uh, i grew up as a kind of a 4-h farm kid we had um just 40 acres so it was kind of a hobby farm not a big enough farm to like do production agriculture you know you need pretty
2: it was beautiful we toured it yeah a, a couple of weeks ago yeah. for our meet on fire festival
3: <laughs> yeah and you kind of saw that the layout of that farm with the Platte River cutting through the middle of it and with all the trees, it really became a nice place for us uh, to cater company picnics. So I grew up as a kid in the food business. Uh, didn't know it would be my future, but we were feeding people of uh, 500 to 2,200 people for company picnics on that farm so i that's kind of how i got in the food business by accident was just learning how to feed people today people will say hey yeah uh, we have an event we need to feed two or three hundred people and i said that's nothing we feed two or three people no problem <laughs> you fed 1200 out there you said at one point the biggest group we ever did was uh denver rtd the bus company we did their p- company picnic and that was 2200 people oh wow that was too big for the farm though we didn't have enough parking yeah,
2: <laughs> but yeah, yeah we had to bust that, but that was a big that was a big farm that's yeah we're that's where we're gonna have you know uh, the, more details to follow the the meat on fire uh festival that's the right. ultimate barbecue yeah it's as, gonna be great uh, you know it really really is there's so much we're gonna do some natural wood cooking we're gonna have our chefs association as well as the colorado chefs association uh and some special guests from out of the country we're flying in i haven't told you, about neat, that, but
3: you well, like any typical farm kid, though, you know, you want to get off the farm because farm work is not glamorous. Your dad doesn't pay you because it's part of your room and board. <laughs> and uh, my dad, being a kind of a stiff necked uh, disciplinarian, he was in the Marines for eight years. Uh, you know, I was a teenage boy and I, like, I got to get out of here. This is, you know, typical teenager and his dad, you Low know. rebellion. You love your dad, and but, you know, you got to get some distance. So my ticket off the farm, believe it or not, was the, the Rotary Club in Brighton. Uh, asked me if I wanted to apply to be an exchange student somewhere in the world, so I filled out the application and I chose uh, three countries. They had three. I chose Switzerland, Germany, and um, France, and they came back to me a month later and said, "You can go to China, Japan, or Korea." <laughs> <laughs> and which what survey says? I went to Japan just because I had some Japanese friends in Brighton. There's a lot of Japanese people from you know way back in Brighton, the Sakatas and the, a lot of other names. So I I decided just. To go to Japan, and that was my ticket off the farm. I went there my senior year in high school.
2: I'm going to jump forward but come back. Okay. You have some great Wagyu beef. Yep. Does that story, going to Japan, tie into what you're doing today?
3: It does because I actually visited a Wagyu farm and ranch when I lived in Japan, and I didn't know that I'd be selling Wagyu years later, but Wagyu is the word for Japanese beef, and it's a really cool breed. So, yeah, anyway, that kind of ties in. So, anyway, I come back from... Japan after a year and go to college and then um, major in Japanese language, minor in business, and I want to do something with my Japanese. By this time, I've spent two years in Japan, one year of high school, one year of college, and I um, was looking for a job using my Japanese. So I went downtown to kind of like a chamber of commerce of Japan that doesn't exist here anymore, and they gave me a list, John, of all the companies in Colorado doing business that were Japanese-owned. And lo and behold, I get a job with a meat company. And uh, really wasn't looking to be in the meat business, but I've been in the meat business ever since. That was 1991. So I've had uh, 31 years in the meat business working in six different USDA plants and selling meat my whole life. And traveling around the world, I get to travel all over the world to sell meat, which is kind of cool. So
2: and you just got back from Mexico. Yeah.
3: Mexico is one of my most favorite places to go. I just got back from Guadalajara and a food show I do every year there, and it was great. But I've got to go. I'm not boasting, but I'm just—you just never know where God's going to take you through these routes we get on. But I—I I got to go to uh, you know China, Hong Kong, um, Canada, um, Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, Colombia, Mexico many times, and so that's that's kind of fun. I get—I really have cool. a—I have a travel gene in me. I don't know why, but. I just love to travel.
2: We're going to jump back to Japan. And what was your favorite part about being in Japan?
3: I love the culture there. You know, they are just so respectful to their elders, and they're so clean and tiny. You won't go to Japan and see a dirty street. They're just very clean and very safe. And uh, I left my, my uh, Canon uh, 35 millimeter camera in a park hanging on a tree one day. Uh, during a, uh, the Cherry Blossom Festival there in the spring in Tokyo. And um, I didn't realize they had left it there until about 10 o'clock that night. I'm thinking, where's my camera? Where's my camera? Oh, I left it hanging on the tree. Guess what? Way back there the next morning, it was still, still hanging. hanging there. Still hanging there? No one had touched oh, wow. it. wow. So, I mean, that's just, I just love the culture. They're just very respectful of other people. Yeah.
2: No, oh, that's great. So what are what are a couple other places you've traveled that you really like?
3: Uh, well, I just love. Probably the, besides all of them. Well, <laughs> I, my favorite place to go back to over and over is Mexico. Just because the people are very friendly there, the food scene's awesome there. Um, there's just a lot of culinary talent in Mexico, and fresh food. And um, they they do a lot with a little down there. Even even go to these little street you know trucks. They're just doing an amazing job with food there. So. Uh,
2: that's our whole goal with the Hispanic Restaurant Association, Hispanic Chefs Association, Hispanic Top Chef. I mean, we ju- you see it, we know it, mm-hmm. everybody knows it. Mm-hmm. The talent here, and we're just trying to give them a platform. Right. I mean, we have nothing to do with bringing up the talent, but we just want to give this platform. That's. Of this magnificent talent out there yeah so let's talk about some of the food what mm-hmm. what what is tell us about that what do you like about it well i
3: like the fact that they use a lot of fresh ingredients there uh, you'll see them cooking from scratch they don't I, I would say they do more cooking from scratch than um an, um an american restaurant would be because american restaurants are busy and they're like chain driven um, you know, one thing that's kind of refreshing down there is you can still see the independent operator thrive down in Mexico. Up here, it's hard for the independent operator to thrive because the chains have buying power, and they can lose money at times and still do okay because some of them are public companies. But they're using more prepared food mixes in their in their store. They're not making their soups from scratch in Mexico. They're all making their soups from scratch. You can't go order tortilla soup in Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> it comes out of a box. We mix it with some powder. No, I mean... they're they're making it from scratch (laughs) so that's kind of cool that's true
2: and i've you know as i've you've talked i'm a fifth generation american i grew up with typical i'm going to use the term textbooks it's great no that's not my but only until we really became involved in the past few years did i understand what true latin mexican food was Mm. now i can't go back it's just simply amazing yeah i'm spoiled my son we're, we're very spoiled yep so what is, uh, so Mexico is one of your favorite things. So, the, and we talked about the Wagyu. We're going to tie everything together here. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what made you want to buy Barber's Foods or Ranch Fresh Mies? What Let's move forward to the business. You are a distributor. Mm-hmm. And I, I also want to tell people about what you do because it's a magnificent product. I mean, you've given me some samples. You've given some of our members' samples. You've given our, you've contributed to some of our chef's uh, association meetings and, just the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. So what made you go this route versus, you know, just the traditional meat cycles?
3: Well, I was selling um, beef to um, Barber's uh, company, and uh, they've been around since 1949. And the Barber's family, um, the the grandkids of the founder, um, really wanted to retire. And um, they didn't have anyone in their family, the younger generation didn't really want to uh, do a wholesale food distributor. It's just hard work. It's not glamorous. You know, slopping meat around and food, it's not glamorous. But um, so I um, bought the business from them in 2018. And um, they um, two of the Barber's um, family members still work with me, and one full time and one just seasonally in the fall when we get real busy. And um, we um, sell premium quality, um, locally sourced when possible, um, meats that um, the thing that makes us really different, John, is we have vetted out both the farm and the ranch and the USDA plant it comes from. So, I've been in every single plant where the meat comes from that we source. Um, is that
2: the one we toured a few weeks ago?
3: That was that's one of them. Yeah, that's one of our that's our bison supplier and our beef supplier. But also, you know, we get air chilled chicken from a family ranch in California, and we get um, you know wagyu from. Nebraska. So I've been to all these places, and I have vetted them out. So um, that's what makes us a little bit different is where really our mission, John, is to connect people, maybe the word is reconnect people, to the farm. Because you hear the farm-to-fork story a lot, but the truth is when you go to any retail store or a restaurant chef opens any box of meat, they do not know the farm it came from. They cannot know. They cannot call the rancher and say, have a question about blank. We enable chefs to do that if they want to that's our goal. So. Okay, great. So let's talk about, I'm really interested in, let's go through each product.
2: I mean, the reason I'm, I thought it was important for you to, because you're not a broadliner. No. Nope. So you're not, uh, you're, and there's nothing wrong with broadliners. Nope. but I, w- our goal is to connect the, the distri- smaller distributor that's directly connected to the farmer, the rancher, and with great uh, food. And, and as minimally processed at all, mm-hmm. uh, so let's talk about. Let's go through each one. You think, and I particularly, because I've had a lot of the wagyu beef. <laughs> That's amazing to me. And let's talk about the the ranch. And, you know, the air-cooled chicken, you taught me about that. I didn't know certain things about the chicken. Like uh, the, what was it, chilled? Air-chilled?
3: Yeah, air-chilled chicken. So Let, but, let's,
2: let's step through each one of those.
3: Okay, let's go to air-chilled chicken first. So uh, there are no chickens anymore grown in Colorado for meat production. There's only some chickens raised uh, that produce eggs in the Montrose area and some in northern Colorado. But if you think you're buying chickens raised in Colorado, you're not. Because Barber's was one of the first and last companies in Colorado to actually own grow houses, and uh, have a slaughter plant. And we had a slaughter plant in Broomfield, which we sold in the mid-'90s. I didn't, but the family did. So we became a distributor after we st- they sold the farm, and um, we were looking for a really good source, family-owned chicken production company. And the closest one that we found is actually in Central California, in the Central Valley, owned by the Pittman family. They're good friends of ours, and they um, are vertically integrated, so they're growing the grain. They're hatching the eggs. They're um, raising them in grow houses, and they can go outside. And I visited and seen all this, and um, just a great family. It's owned by a family. It's not a big corporation. It's not multinational. It's just a family farm that got big because their product is so good. I mean, their plant is not small. Uh, it's a pretty big plant. It's you know, it's it's about the size of this building times two. You know, here 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 at this campus. So, um, but air chilled chicken. Why are chilled chicken? Well, there's only two ways to cool a chicken carcass, John, after the feathers have come off. And the cheap way, the fast way, is use water. So the chicken would go into a water bath like a swimming pool. And just after like a few minutes into the shift, that water is pretty brackish. You can imagine the feathers, the blood, the yuck. So they have to put bleach in that water to keep the bacteria down. In fact, they put 10 times more bleach in that pool than you have in a jacuzzi or a, a swimming pool anywhere in Colorado to keep the bacteria down. Really? So that chicken is absorbing that water, which is why if you go to any retail store and look at the label for any chicken, it says ingredients chicken, asterisk. Then you look down at the bottom and the asterisk says may contain up to 5% added water. Think, where's that added water coming from? It's coming from that bacteria pool. Okay, so that's gross. If people saw that, and I've seen it many times, I've been to many chicken plants back east where most of the chicken comes from, in Arkansas and uh, Texas and Louisiana, and that is gross. You won't eat chicken after you see that for a while until you forget about it. Air-chilled chicken, the way they cool the carcass is more expensive, but they hang the chickens in the ceiling in freezing cold 40 degrees below zero air that's cooled with nitrogen is blowing across the carcass so they don't get the chicken dirty bath they, they, they just cool it down, and so that costs more money but the chicken tastes better has better shelf life in fact John did you know that in the EU in the European Union they don't allow water chilled chicken to be sold which is why US chicken companies can't export to the EU they don't allow water chilled chicken because they think it's unsanitary and disgusting oh I didn't know that all chicken in the EU is air chilled chicken here it's kind of catching on, but so we sell air chilled chicken because it tastes better, because it has a better shelf life, and because it comes from a family we know personally that we've vetted out. So basically, we have found the best tasting, best story chicken that we can find in the United States, and that's what we sell.
2: Oh, nice. Okay.
3: And so then there's, uh, do you want to go the next one? Y- yeah, let's. Uh, yeah. I won't spend as much time on all, but Beeler's, pork in Iowa. Most pigs in this country are raised in iowa or at least slaughtered in iowa that's where the majority of the slaughter plants are and the beeler's family has been raised in pork for five generations way before iowa was even a state and they do something called a duroc pork breed duroc is a, a highly marbled high quality i tell people um duroc is to pork what wagyu is to beef oh it's that's a good analogy. very well marbled and these um, these pigs are of a temperament that the sows do not need gestation crates. So their, their story is, their family, to make their product different than mainstream conventional beef beef meat. Pork is um, no gestation crates, duroc pork breed, and um, they uh, use a non-GMO feed. So most pigs are fed soy, most soy is genetically modified. They don't use that because they want to be different. So right. um, and their pork is outstanding. I mean, you, you, you could eat one of their pork chops and go, wow. I mean, that's just, just the best pork chop it I've may, ever had in my life. Me it's got it's got marbling in it. You know, it's that the tra- traditional conventional pork most people know they they grow these pigs to be efficient and in and out and 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 get to market as soon as possible but they've bred the marbling out of the pig which is why most conventional pork chops out of pork loins are dry and there's no there's they add some sauce add some sauce (laughs) always add the sauce to the pork chop yeah (laughs) right (laughs) correct (laughs) that's funny
1: Pausing quickly in the interview, we wanted to let you know that today's show is brought to you by Metro State School of Hospitality. The Metropolitan State University's School of Hospitality has truly lived up to their namesake by being more than welcoming to the Hispanic Restaurant Association and all of their partners. Today's podcast and future episodes will be broadcast right from the MSU campus inside their hospitality building their extensive culinary programs as well as their enthusiastic professors and directors make it well known why this school has one of the strongest and quickest growing culinary programs in the entire nation visit msu denver.com to find out about different events happening across campus and how to get involved
2: I'm going to jump back before we jump back into those and what was your what in your life or your life philosophy made you want to go down this path to seek something i'm gonna use the term pure or better than
3: anything else i worked in six different usda meat plants and um, they they weren't doing anything um, illegal uh, or wrong or uh, immoral but meat loses its identity in a meat plant typically because they can't keep track of all the parts and pieces that come in on one side whether the animal's you know, slaughtered there or not, and then gets processed, ground, cut into chops, cut into steaks, and then out the door with the company name on it instead of the farmer's name. So, and also if you look at any retail store now, most of the meat sold is the store brand. Right. It's not the farmer's name on it. That's because the the stores, the big national, multinational public retailers, they want to sell their own brand. Right. That's what they want to do. So... Meat has lost its identity, which uh, I think is a shame. So I'm trying to reconnect people to you can know the rancher, you can know the farmer, you can know the story. And people, John, when I tell them this, they, they think I'm lying to them. They, 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 they treat me as suspect. Like you can't <laughs> know that because nobody knows that. Um, I think I'm the only online retailer at ranchfreshmeats.com that when you get a box of meat in the mail or through UPS when you order it from us or we dropped it off on your front door if you're in the Denver metro area, we actually leave the, the farmer's name on the package. Every other company puts their own brand on it.
2: Okay. They, so, you, so you I'm not
3: selling ranch fresh meats, you know, pork chops. I'm selling Tim Beeler's pork chops, and his name is on it. So, you know. That, that's our goal at the Colorado
2: Food Magazine, just to tell people stories. We want to connect, you know, um, the gate, to the plate, the, the pig to the, the consumer, the chef, everything else. That's our goal is to tell the story. And, and you're right in the middle of that. You're a distributor. And so that way not only – and you are open to telling who, where you get your stuff from. And that's the beauty of what we're doing is, is we're trying to tell that story and allow somebody like you that has really helped our organization uh, continue to g- thrive and grow without, you know, seeking dollars from everywhere. Just like, hey, let's just open a door. And you believe in our mission. I and do. I, I firmly believe. You believe in our mission. I do, and and once again, it's it's through action, not just words. Because we, I mean, I'll be quite honest. A lot of the organizations, everybody says they want to help, and then I never hear from them again. They they send a nice email, they do a little th- you know <laughs> LinkedIn post, and then, then I never hear from them. And that's their feel good story. I mean, but our goal, like Alan with his Paxmer, his Americana Media Studio, uh, feed. Uh, foodies media solutions everybody around us is really really uh they're on the team they're performance and action oriented and that's why this platform i want to give to you <laughs> well thank you <laughs> to, to, to help and let's let's talk a little bit more that's that's a little uh you know what do you call it, pontification or you know me talking about reality and that's that's why i'm starting to reach out to the people that have really helped us uh, grow to this point.
3: Well, back to you know, why I do what I do, part of it is reconnecting people to the farm, the ranch, the plant that, that actually raises or processes the meat. Uh, but the other thing is there's a lot of me- mediocre meat out there in the marketplace that's just mediocre. And we actually do taste tests all the time. Uh, we, for example, we're looking for the summer right now, uh, five of the best tasting sausage and bratwurst that we can find in the industry. And some of uh, me me and my team, me and the barber's team. Yeah, we're, we're tasting where we, so we have different vendors. We have different, we have local ones. We have ones that are out of the state, but we're just looking for the best of the best, not just in the taste of the product, but also the story and how they raise the animals. And so, um, you know, that's our passion is to find so that when people buy from us, we've already vetted out for them.
2: You know, everything is true.
3: Yeah, that's right. And you know, here's just a little example. So in the United States, under the U.S. law, product can be imported from anywhere in the world. Let's just say mm, you and I buy a load of uh, ground beef from Uruguay, organic grass-finished beef, and we buy that because it's cheaper than sourcing it in the United States. But we'll set it into a meat plant anywhere in the United States, and we say we want you to take these 40-pound blocks, thaw them out, put them through a grinder, two grinds, a coarse grinder, fine grind, put them through a metal detector, package that beef, it'll be 90% organic beef now labeled and we want you to put product of u.s.a on the package and a meat plant will say no problem that's u.s. law as long as the meat has been um, transformed somehow processed somehow you can put the product of u.s.a sticker on there and it can even say packaged in los angeles california product of u.s.a so the consumer thinks you know i think most common sense this product comes to the united states of america no that's not what it means it means the product was Processed United States. So I think that is dishonest. I don't think that people would like to buy meat that they don't really know where it comes from in the world. So we don't buy meat that's been processed processed that way. You know, so that that's just one thing I could list on and on and on. But um, back to our passion is to give people the best of the best.
2: Right. Let's talk about uh, some salmon and some uh, then some wagons. Yeah, so
3: the salmon is a simple story. My friend Taryn, who's from Colorado, him and his wife own a boat, and they just do one big run every year. In um, the fall, August, September, they're in Alaska on their own boat they own, and uh, their brand is Thunder's Catch, but they catch um, the um the, the salmon there uh, during the run, you know, the fall run. And the thing that makes them different is that they actually bleed out the salmon when they catch them. So they catch them in nets, and then every night, the, uh, they have to report their catch to the Department of Agriculture in Alaska because the Department of Agriculture in Alaska doesn't want to overfish. So all right. of the boats up there have to report so that they don't overfish the waters. And they never do. The run up there is, the Kokanee Salmon Run is amazing. Um, but anyway. Um, have you done that? No, I haven't done it. And Taryn has invited me to go, but, you know, it's hard work. And oh, he doesn't it. just want you for a couple of days because he goes out for a while. And so you're you're with him for a month. It's not a cruise line, not a cruise line. <laughs> and you're gonna be bleeding fish, you know, and it's just a lot of work. So I thought, yeah, you know, he sends me videos and uh, I'll put those on my website. But so that's the Alaskan salmon. That's just a once a year thing. And then the Wagyu. I met Dan Morgan, as of all places. I was doing a food show in 2017, I think, in or 18. I think it was 2018 in Hong Kong. And I'm there. Um, selling U.S. meats uh, for a couple different companies. And Dan Morgan walks by and he sells a ton of Wagyu over into Hong Kong. And so him and I get to know each other and he was, I had a booth and he was kinda just walking around, meeting with people, meeting with customers and going to lunches and dinners. And so I um, had a dinner with him and I got to know him and then I went and visited his ranch in Nebraska. And then I said, hey, I would love to represent you in Colorado as your uh, food service and uh, online distributor. So, um, yeah, so I've been back to his ranch several times and just an amazing product. So Wagyu, uh, typically in this country, is what we call F1. There's F1 through F5. F1
2: is the lowest. This is the educate for our audience. This is the educate portion of this podcast about, well, several parts of it, which we're talking about. You're always educating us, and that's always our goal, to educate the consumer. I was fascinated when he told me this the first time. I did not know this. All I knew was the end quality, how great it was. But then we started talking a lot, like, can you educate me about beef in this Wagyu? And so let's start again there.
3: Okay, so Wagyu, just to back up, means Japanese um, cow. And it is the only breed in the world that God made that never stops marbling. That means when you have these animals in a feedlot for three, four, five, six, seven months they will marble all the way until practically 80% fat, which, you know, basically is too much fat. But the product just tastes great because that saturated fat, that intramuscular marbling is just delicious. Right. So um, it became famous for its marbling and its eating quality. And uh, Dan Morgan imported a Wagyu uh, many decades ago and started breeding it with his um, Hereford and Angus breeds. Uh, but back to um, the grades of Wagyu, there's F1 through F5, F1 is 50% Wagyu. Mixed with 50 percent another breed. Typically in America, it's going to be Angus or Hereford. That English, those English breeds. Uh, that's typically what you'll find in the United States is a F1 Wagyu, because F5, which is purebred Wagyu, is 100 percent Wagyu. That meat is from Japan and uh, has genetic strains that can be traced way back and cost two or three hundred dollars a pound. Wow, it's just it's ex- very expensive. Um, Dan Morgan's program is F4, so 93 percent or better purebred Wagyu so it's better than most of the wagyu sold in this country today there are some great wagyu programs in this country but most of them are diluted because they're sourcing from so many ranches they just keep up with demand it's volume
2: and it's demand it's volume
3: and like oh we need more wagyu we'll go get another rancher in blank state to raise for us but all of Dan Morgan's wagyu comes from his ranch so it's one ranch one plant very consistent so that's that's why it's so good wow so f4 out of f5 so it's
2: is it maybe correct me? Is it Kobe beef? Is that
3: different? No, it's the it's Kobe style beef. And in this country, if Wagyu beef beef um, is labeled um, like in a ribeye form, it ha- it can say Wagyu on there, but it has to say American style Kobe beef. It can't say Kobe beef because Kobe beef would have to come from Japan, because Kobe is a city in Japan, and I've been to that city, and they are famous for how they raise Wagyu there. Um, and that that beef is crazy expensive like just crazy. I did a dinner one night in Tokyo with some friends and we went out and we were saving for this for a while. We went to have Kobe beef authentic Kobe beef John they bring you a, a me- they, you bring you a wood platter like this it's about the size of a piece of paper made out of thin wood and they've got the nose print of the animal in the oh really with his, and with his pedigree so you can see his pedigree and his you know all his factual information in his nose print and that's the beef you're eating you know is that authentic well my point is uh four ounces of that beef serves shabu shabu style they don't typically eat that as a steak it's so well marbled that it wouldn't taste good as a steak they they put it in hot uh broth uh, with vegetables that's called shabu shabu it's a hot pot that you share so four ounces of okobe beef with some vegetables was 450 dollars per person wow yeah so it's crazy (laughs) So if people ever want authentic Kobe beef, you're gonna pay hundreds of dollars for it. But you don't really need to because uh, in steak form, you don't really need Wagyu marbled that much. There's also these different grades of marbling for Wagyu. I won't go into all the 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 grading details because there's the genetic side, F1 through F5, that's genetics. And then there's the how well is it marbled in different grades. But just basically, typically Wagyu, the Wagyu I sell is two times more marbling than USDA prime. So USDA Prime is the highest grade we have in in this country. Well, this would be two times more marbled than that. Oh,
2: wow. All I know is it's delicious. It is good. It's good. You've given us some tri-tip. But also some of the other things you've done with, uh, like, our Chefs Association is some of the issues the ranchers have. They have, you know, they sell the Prime, the Wagyu. But there's these other cuts.
3: Yep. It's always the cuts they can't sell.
2: Okay, let's talk about those and how we can help do that
3: yeah well every rancher that's you know trying to sell direct to the consumer or direct themselves you know that's not selling to a big meat plant because when they sell their cattle to a big meat plant this becomes the meat plant's problem what what is the problem i'm talking about the problem of moving all the parts there's over 112 parts on on a beef cow so um yeah, they they get stuck with things like Dan Morgan right now. Um, he's long on he's always long on tri tips. Well, tri tips a wonderful sirloin yeah, steak. No it kidding. Makes great tacos or anything. You can it's very famous in California. Most Californians are used to seeing tri tip on a menu, even tri tip at a retail store. But you come. Anywhere east of California, nah, they don't really know about it. So that's one thing that we always have on special. We're selling them right now on sale at ranchfreshmeats.com. We have them on sale on the wholesale side. That's just one idea, but there's other things like the cheek meat. Cheek meat inside the, the cheeks is a wonderful item for making tacos or burritos. And then there's all the thin meats like the skirts. And you know everyone wants the middle meats, the ribeyes, the strips, and the tenders. Everyone wants those, but there's all the other cuts right. <laughs> that have to be sold, and you right, yeah.
2: and then and they would go to ranch fresh meats or contact you if they're food service or business to to do that. Yeah, and that's our chefs have expressed great interest in that. So thank you for that. Sure. It's a it's a great great thing. So we're uh, there's so much to, to talk about. We're gonna have to have you on a second time because we're just running out of time on this one. But uh, I just, how can uh, we talk about, I mean, this is one avenue, about what you do. I mean, let's, let's talk about how would they get a hold of you if they're a restaurant and, and what, talk to us about that process.
3: If they're a restaurant and they would like to see our, our portfolio of what we offer from the um, six different families that we, we buy from with different proteins, barbersfoods.com is our website. And then our, our uh, email is there, and our, our phone number is there. We have a warehouse up near the National Western Stock Show Complex, not far from downtown Denver. So, we're, And we have trucks out, refrigerated trucks out, delivering all over Denver at metro area every day. We go down to Springs. We go up to Boulder, Longmont uh, three times a week. So, yeah, barbersfoods.com. And then um, they can also just um, call the office and ask for me. And... You know, if, uh, if I'm not there, they'll get my voicemail, but I'll get right back to them. So, and then on the direct-to-consumer side, if they want to send a gift to their dad for Father's Day or try some product at home, just a couple steaks, you can order two steaks at ranchfreshmeats.com. And when we ship the product, um, we include a little bit of information about every farm we source from to help you reconnect to that farm.
2: Right, yeah, yeah. and we'd love to connect with some of those farms, get them on our podcast. Because that, I think it's just a great story. You, know, what you what you're doing for us. And then one last thing you talked about, we talked about, you know, because we always worry about giving back. We want to give back. We're all blessed. Uh, you talked about the Denver Rescue Michigan, how our potentially our Chefs Association can play into that.
3: Well, they do a great job in Denver helping those that need help for, it could be food and shelter. It could be they are, they're, they're rehabilitated and they're, they're, off the drugs or the alcohol that caused them to be homeless or caused them to get where they are in life, but they they have a programs there where they house them and then train them to do a career. Um, one of those they do is is in the culinary world because uh, they have kitchens and they feed people. A lot of people uh, the never Rescue Mission feeds um, at their different facilities. Uh, it's an, it's an amazing number of people. I th- I think it's like something like um i can't remember but it's a lot it's like 8000 people a week it's a lot of oh, people wow, they're feeding. yeah so i just believe in their cause and not just helping people with their physical needs but helping people with their spiritual needs and their emotional needs uh, because a lot of the people that go there um they they've they've they're, they're doing some real tough life issues right. you know and so i just believe in we we um We help them with programming, and we help them financially, and we help plug people into them because we've and I've gone to help them with some of the things they do. So I just I just think they're doing a great job where. I mean, we, we drive around and we see all the people that are struggling they have kind of dropped out of this culture. Society. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you, t- you tend to think, well, just send them to their church. Their church will help them. No, their church doesn't have the resource to help them. OK, send them to the Denver City and County of Denver. They don't have the resources to help them. In fact, they've partnered with the Denver Rescue Mission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So these people, that's the real big opportunity for us to channel men. Um, and if it's women and children, then you know, they'll refer those over to the Catholic Charities because the Catholic Church will help women and women with children, and the Denver Rescue Mission is focused on the men. and the, yeah. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Well,
2: we'll do what we can. I mean, we'll bring it out. We'll yeah. connect there. Thank you for everything you do for us. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I mean, it really is appreciative, and uh, you know, we'll we'll put this out. We'll tell our chefs. Continue to tell our chefs. You know, you've you've connected with Chef Pablo, Chef Manny, and a few Mm -hmm. others. We want to continue to open those doors for you, because if you want the best product, what I've seen, I mean, you're you're one of the guys to go to. So, well, thank you. Thanks for having me on today. today. Thank you for everything you do. You're
3: welcome.
1: Thanks. Goes out to Greg for coming on today's show, giving us a little bit more information about both Barber's Foods and Ranch Fresh Meats. And I you know, giving us a little bit more of a in-depth look at, uh, you know, all the different types of cuts in the cow, all, all the different types of ways that you can use them. I mean, it's a really informational podcast. We're looking forward to bringing on Greg again to another show to get a little bit more information about what his uh, company is specific about and how they can get out to the Colorado consumer. But once again, a huge thank you out to Greg for everything he does. And it was a really interesting podcast. We hope you guys liked it as much as we did. Now, before we get moving, we want to let you know that the show is brought to you by Hamilton Linus. Hamilton Linen in Uniform is one of America's most established and respected textile rental companies. They help the food and beverage, restaurant, and hospitality industries with their linen rental and laundry service needs. As a values-driven company, they take pride in welcoming you into their family and providing remarkable linen programs to suit your specific needs. Get the benefits of a local team backed by a national provider so you can depend on them first as your local linen supplier. Visit HamiltonLinen.com to find out more about how they can keep your business running at 100%. So after sitting down and listening to today's show one more time, I honestly, you know, only have a really, only a couple takeaways. And one of the big ones, I'd say the overall theme of today's show And last week's show as well with Todd Ingley is just keeping everything natural, making sure that the consumers who are buying these products know where the products are coming from in the meat industry, especially knowing that everything is done humane, that the animals are raised in a healthy environment. Uh, It's really important. I mean, why wouldn't the consumers want to know where their stuff's coming from? It's extremely important. And you know, I think Greg does a really good job. He makes a very, very big point about wanting to pull the curtain between the ranchers and the consumers, making sure that people really do know where their meats are coming from. He mentions that when uh, people buy buy products from Barbers Foods and Ranch Fresh Meats, the name of the rancher is on the box when they get their product. They they are constantly wanting to make sure that they break that barrier between the rancher and the consumer. So it's really something truly inspiring, a true gate-to-plate process like we talk about in our intro. And I also found it really interesting how he's very educational with all the different cuts of beef. I found it really interesting. I mean, everybody knows, you know, your top sirloins, your, you know, your strips. Every uh, uh, People are familiar with the basic steak when you go into a steakhouse. But learning about all the different types of cuts of beef, learning about, you know, where your meat comes from, uh, not just where it comes from, but the use for every one of the 120 plus parts of the cow. You know, it's really important for not just the consumer to know, oh, hey, this is something that I can use in this recipe, or this is something that I can use here. But it's really important for the producer, the people who are actually getting these foods out there to know, these are the types of things that are going to sell more. These are the types of things that aren't going to sell more. This is how I'm going to advertise my product and change these types of things. I mean, Greg, Greg does breaks it down perfectly on the show. Like we mentioned before, we're really excited to bring him on for another episode just to, you know, kind of get into depth a little bit more about what his companies are about, but a very informational show today and we hope you guys enjoyed it. All right, folks. Well, that just about does it from all of us here at CFM and HRA. We wanted to thank you once again for tuning in. We could not do this podcast without you guys, so we appreciate your support. Uh, Wherever you are hearing my voice from right now, wherever, it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Facebook Podcasts, really anywhere. uh, Make sure you're subscribed to the Colorado Food Magazine so you're not missing out on any of this new content we're coming out with, like I've been mentioning the last few shows. Season two is going to be packed with some really cool stuff. We're looking to get out there a little bit more. So we don't want you guys to miss out on any of that. So make sure you are subscribed. If you want to check us out on social media, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all the tags Colorado Food Magazine. And we are uh, definitely vamping up those pages for sure. So I highly recommend checking out, uh, especially our YouTube and our Instagram pages. Those guys have been exploding recently. It's uh, been some really cool stuff. Like, uh, like I've been saying, we appreciate all of your support on there and all the uh, feedback that we've been getting. So keep it up with that. If any of you wanted to get involved with John and the Hispanic Restaurant Association, check him out at HispanicRestaurantAssociation.org as he's constantly looking to find new partners. And once again, we thank Greg Boone for all of his fantastic support for just everything he's really done for this organization. He has been a fantastic support for all of us, and uh, we just really look forward to working with him in the future. So thank you all for tuning in, and we will catch you next time.